0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Folks, we're revisiting, of course, the shooting in Lewiston, Maine, Robert Card. And as the investigators dig deeper into this, it winds up that many, many, many mistakes were made in this case. Uh, And in that way, Really, the police knew all about this and other authorities knew about this. And a lot of confusion as to who takes responsibility and who now should be taking responsibility. And we know right here, those are the 18 people that died because the right thing wasn't done in this case. And I don't say that Lightly, I don't point blame at anyone lightly, but it's irrefutable in this case that deadly mistakes were made very deadly mistakes. And Maine, according to the New York Times, is a rare Democratic controlled state with loose gun laws. The mass shooting that killed at least 18 people on Wednesday occurred in a state with a record. Of resisting gun restrictions just months before this week's mass shooting in lewiston maine's uh the legislature considered three major bills to tighten gun restrictions one to require criminal background checks for gun purchases another to create a 72-hour waiting period before someone could take possession of a gun after purchasing it and third to outlaw modifications that make semi-automatic weapons more deadly. All three bills were defeated in the Maine Senate by sizable margins. Maine is a largely blue state where Democrats control both chambers of the state legislature and the governorship has a long history of resisting gun control measures. The shootings in Lewiston on Wednesday that left 18 people dead are already fueling renewed calls from gun control groups to expand firearm restrictions in Maine. But much of the state's political power base, which is rooted in rural communities in the state's North and Western mountains, is unlikely to be swayed, uh, said Mark Brewer, a political science professor at the University of Maine. Again, this is according to an article in the New York Times. In regions where hunting is a big part of the culture, If you're going to talk about restricting gun rights, Mr. Brewer said, you are going to have a hard time. The authorities have not made public any information about what type of firearm was used in Lewiston shootings on Wednesday, nor anything about how the weapon was obtained. Everytown for Gun Safety, a group that advocates for tighter restrictions on guns, ranks Maine 25th in the nation in the strictness of its gun laws, with more permissive laws nearby massachusetts vermont and connecticut and the region only new hampshire has a lower ranking than maine when you look at the track record of maine it stands out that the state is rejected at every juncture common sense gun laws that make communities safer uh, said john feinblatt president of every town the debate over gun control flared earlier this year when a man who had recently been released from prison Killed his parents and two friends and shot at motorists on a highway in April in Cumberland and Sagadoc counties. Opponents of stricter gun regulations said the incident showed that laws such as barring felons like the gunman from possessing firearms do not help prevent violence. So folks, again, Maine is a, a, a state that is big time hunting state. And they turned down stricter gun control laws, as do many states. But in this instance, what we're going to see in tonight's show is we're going to see a failure in the yellow flag laws, a failure in the red flag laws, a failure of law enforcement, a failure of the army, who were sort of the guardians of this this shooter, uh, Robert Card, and A failure on so many levels that led to 18 people being shot dead. And we across this nation are tired of seeing these active shooters. And that's what we're going to discuss this evening. What could have been done? What wasn't done? So folks, hang on to your seats. Buckle yourself in. You're about to enter the -the off-the-cuff zone with police off-the-cuff real crime stories. There has to be some common sense. Yes,
1: sir, they have the car stopped in 10 and Grinch, by Byther. We still don't know who pulled the trigger.
0: Folks, joining me tonight to discuss this very complicated topic, and it is complicated, is Professor, retired NYPD sergeant, law degree, and straight out of the Bronx, I should say, welcome to the show, Professor Mike Geary. Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Bill. Good evening. Thank you for having me on.
0: You know, Mike, I don't want to at all try to make this simple because it's not. And we talk about yellow flag laws, red flag laws, There are a lot of restrictions that law enforcement is held back by. And I was on Duty Ron's show last week, and I said, these laws collide with HIPAA laws, Mm -hmm. confidentiality, and the real law. And that's the confusion in here. And that's where something has to be done so these tragedies don't happen as often as they have been happening.
1: Yeah, Billy. A lot of times you get you get uh, uh, urge for red flag laws, and that's a laws, and that's a big thing. People, you always hear people talking about red flag laws. We need red flag laws. We need to enforce red flag laws. However, people don't also don't realize that red flag laws laws are different in each state, and sometimes it really conflicts with the idea of patient confidentiality. If someone has a mental illness. It doesn't mean that they are a danger to the public. Many people, about 50, statistically, 15% of the public may have a diagnosable mental illness. Some of the listeners out here may, may have a diagnosable mental illness and be dealing with it. And they pose absolutely no danger to the public. And so, you know, and they, and these, many of the people may have a handgun for their safety you know, they may have a handgun for maybe a job that they they have. And so therefore they have a right to that firearm so long as that they're following the law and obeying the law. Um, So the the idea that there is, you know, privacy in these people's lives and that's not, that should not be disclosed to like the state police or have the state police come by their house and determine whether or not they are fit to uh, have firearm, to get a firearm, to keep a firearm that they already have, you know, that's not good because people have the right to their medical records. They have the right to patient confidentiality. I don't think anybody would, no matter how much you, you may not like guns and want very strict hip, um, very strict red flag list. Uh, does anybody here really want their doctor, if they tell their doctor that they're a little depressed or something, their doctor to go to the FBI and say, oh, by the way, I have a patient and they've expressed um, a a feeling that they are, um, you know, they have a a mental health condition. I'm treating them, but, um, uh, you know, they've never said they're going to hurt anybody, but I think that they shouldn't ever have access to a firearm. You know, that's a little strange. That's a little ridiculous. And I, I think that's a problem because, these ideas that politicians have, these great intentions, these laws. There's state laws. There's state, you know, uh, privacy laws in regarding patient confidentiality. There's federal laws, HIPAA. You've got the, um, you know, and you've got uh, these uh, the idea of civil commitment and taking away people's property. You know, uh, everyone's entitled to a hearing. So there's a convergence of many different kinds of laws, and they are in conflict. And there's often a lot of court cases involved with this, a lot of litigation involved in this. And, you know, as someone said recently, um, you can have all the laws you want, but if they're not enforced or, you know, or if they're not effective, then, um, you know, you're not going to, it's not going to do what the law was intended to do.
0: You know, Mike, the, uh, the main director of public safety, uh, Mike Sawstruck, he had brought that, uh, that same point that you just raised, that there are many people even on the police department mm-hmm. that have diagnosed mental illnesses. Sure. And they don't remove their firearms from them unless they're a danger to themselves and others. And that's a difficult plateau for mm-hmm. a diagnosis of, yeah, he's a danger to himself and others. I remember on the NYPD, the mere allegation of, to someone saying that about you, they would take your guns throw you in a penalty box, maybe for like a year. Oh, yeah. You could prove that you weren't a danger to yourself and others. But, so there are people and therein lies the toughness of a psychiatrist, a psychologist saying, with these yellow flags or red flags, yes, he's a danger or she's a danger to herself and others. And I believe if you don't remove the firearms and they should never ever possess firearms again in their entire life, that they're a danger to themselves and others.
1: Yeah, I remember Billy, what you're talking about years ago in the NYPD. If you were a police officer and you were going through a nasty divorce or something like that with a spouse, and they made and they alleged to internal affairs that you you made a threat, whether or not it happened or not, and they would take your guns away and you'd be put in what we call the uh, rubber gun squad, the bow yes. and arrow squad. You know,
0: <laughs> the police department always had such really kind ways to put it. You know,
1: oh, yeah, you're terrible. in the bow
0: and arrow squad, you're in the <laughs> rubber
1: gun squad. It was terrible, it was terrible. Yeah, it and was terrible. you wouldn't be allowed on patrol, you couldn't make an arrest, you'd just be like, uh, you know, sweeping up the floors in the precinct, and it, it's demeaning. And it would take uh, years before they would ever clear you, uh, to go back to patrol, and that. Is a real huge economic hit, and that's going to be on your record forever. So if there's ever any sort of promotion possibility, you know um that's going to affect it. Uh, if you want to go into detective division or something like that, or transfer to a nicer command, or you know, um, or perhaps if you became made this made sergeant, you know would that would that affect you? Uh, if you are Third grade detective, would you be promoted to second grade detective if there's any sort of allegation in your past, you know, about your mental instability? Uh, and again, it didn't even have to be proven that they would just hold your guns for as long as they felt.
0: Al- Mike, and it was also true for alcoholism. If you went. Sure. Uh, sure. And again, the police department used very kind words to you for that, too. You're going to the farm. The it wasn't farm. a farm. The it farm. wasn't a farm. It was upstate, near where there were horses and cows, so they called yeah. it the farm. the farm. And everyone yeah. knew that was the language they use. Oh, he's going to the farm, you know. Or, and that had certain implications in it too. Mike, yeah. I just want to bring up the topic. The media has been very, very tough in digging and again pointing fingers mm-hmm. and issues I guess they should be because sure. it seems like in this case. This could have been prevented if it was done by the numbers, and it wasn't. And as a result right now, we have 18 people dead, 13 people wounded. I wanna play this from CNN.
2: In on the mass shooter in Maine, Robert Carr, just weeks before the attacks last Wednesday in Lewiston. This came after a fellow National Guardsman expressed concern that he would, quote, snap and commit a mass shooting Card was found dead Friday from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. His body was discovered inside of a box trailer belonging to a recycling facility that had been uh, he had recently been fired from. Shimon joins us live from Portland, Maine, with this reporting. I was so struck when you're reporting, Cross, reading it that there seemed to be multiple warning signs in weeks, weeks ago,
3: weeks ago, and really, Poppy, what this now raises, of course, if the Officers here, the sheriff's officers who were investigating these threats, had they intervened sooner, could this have been prevented? Just weeks before he went on a rampage killing 18 people, the Maine National Guard asked local authorities to initiate a wellness check on Robert Card, a source telling CNN one National Guardsman was concerned. Card is going to snap and commit a mass shooting. The Saginaw County Sheriff's Office went to the former reservist's home twice. A source telling CNN he wasn't home during one of those visits, prompting the sergeant who tried to check on him to send out a missing persons report. The other visit was on September 16th. This time they believed he was home. Card could be heard moving inside the trailer, but would not answer the door.
0: Officers left without making contact. Wow. That, That part of it, I don't like. Um, they received information that he was going to shoot up something. They conceivably, they don't know because they didn't see him, but they believe they heard him. Right. And they left the scene. I think that was the time that they should have gone on the radio and said, could we get an emergency service team here? Uh, We're going to, a firearms removal from a mental patient. I mean- at the very least, I think if I was the, that sergeant on the scene, uh, I wouldn't have felt confident walking away from that. And the first time the sergeant had an encounter, he did something very smart. He wrote a missing persons report on this guy because this guy made a threat. Right. So he's going to cover his ass. We used to say, cover your ass in paper. CYA. Yeah. And he covered it with a missing persons report. Now they go there and they think they hear him
1: but they leave, your thoughts, Billy? Yeah, um, you get they get this report from army authorities that uh, he's made a threat. Um, they go to the house to do a welfare well wellness check on him. Um, they know they they know there was a threat. They didn't actually probably talk to the soldier themselves, but they knew there was a threat. The army communicated with them. They went over there with the purpose of seeing him, checking him out. Now they know he's in there. Okay. Um, at that point, I would not turn my back on this person and get back in my car and go away. I think you should call the emergency service. Um, You should try to communicate with this person. Um, I I think at this point, because of the threat and because of the fact that he probably had firearms there, that I would consider that uh, akin to like an emergency situation, because this person may be at this point, if you don't do something, you know, or as you are doing something, they're a barricaded, as we call EDP, emotionally disturbed person in New York city parlance. Um, I think you need to get eyes on that person and eyes in that trailer. Um, and if he makes any other threats, verbalizes any other threats to the police there, um, at the very least you got the place surrounded the very worst. I would get a uh, search warrant, uh, and um go in and, and go in as fast as you can. Mike,
0: I I don't I think you're right. I don't think you need a search warrant. I think this it, is an emergency exception yeah. to a search warrant. I cannot believe they they walked away from this. I and wouldn't turn
1: my back on that guy and get back no, to the No, no, but I mean,
0: I also yeah. couldn't leave that job uh and go home that night to my family and say, Oh, I did the right thing by that guy who's threatening to shoot up the entire neighborhood. I wouldn't feel confident that I did my job. And that's why I would have went the next step and called emergency service. And for you folks outside of New York City, what that is, they call it in other parts of the country, SWAT or special weapons and tactics. Uh, You know, in New York City, we call it emergency service. And they would be able to confront this guy. We have hostage negotiators. Uh, They have tactics that they could confront this situation. But walking away from it, I wouldn't have felt confident with that. And this is... One of the first times of many times that they didn't do the right thing with this case.
3: Deciding due to being in a very disadvantageous position, we decided to back away. Wow. That to me is amazing. Let's let's play that again. That I cannot even believe. Very disadvantageous position. We decided to back away. Sources
0: tell if you're in a disadvantageous position, then get other people there that will give you
1: the advantage, right? You know what and, I mean. And, and if you feel like you're in a disadvantage, disadvantageous position, that means you're in actual fear of your life. Uh, so there. so obviously you're 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 in a, in a very uh possibly armed confrontational situation. You're not investigating a bunch of boy scouts running around stealing the girl scout cookies. No, this is a guy who's got firearms and who's made verbal threats to people and the army is telling you, you know, they're having issues with them. They, you know, they're communicating with you. That's, that's a feeling of danger. He's verbalizing. They had a feeling of danger and they backed off. You can't do that as a police officer. I'm sorry. You can't do that.
3: No telling CNN a Saginaw County Sheriff's deputy spoke to his brother on September 17th. He told authorities he and his father would work with Robert to make sure he does not have any other firearms. It's unclear if any further action was taken after that. And a source told CNN, the case appears to have been closed on October 1st, 24 days before the shooting. According to sources, the Maine National Guard initiated a wellness check because the reservists started hearing voices in the spring and say they had only gotten worse. The National Guard also informed the Saginaw County Sheriff's Office of his history of mental illness, including his stay at a psychiatric facility in July. According to a source, the National Guard was trying to get him to retire under the condition that he get mental health treatment. CNN started raising questions early on in the investigation. As you stand here today, was law enforcement notified of the threats that he was making? Of his condition.
4: I won't answer or answer to uh, any comments that be- she made it but based on what I've seen um, we're gonna continue to work through that. A spokesperson for state
3: police telling CNN Sunday DPS has no regulatory authority over law enforcement agencies in Maine. This man off the streets the sheriff here the Sagadahoc Sheriff has refused to answer our questions we went to his home yesterday uh, his wife telling us he was done answering questions And obviously, we've been asking investigators here about this, all of them refusing to answer any of our questions. And it was only because of officials here, brave sources who came forward, who felt that officials here were not being transparent about what happened in the lead up uh, to this horrific event. They came forward with this information. And now, obviously, there are many, many questions to be asked about what officials here, what the investigators were doing during this time period.
2: And we know you won't stop asking them. Shimon, thank you very much.
1: Well, just days after the shooting rampage in Lewiston, Maine, that left 18 dead and 13 more injured, more deadly shootings took place over
5: the weekend in Indianapolis.
0: You know, one of the things, Mike, I, I think that in, in these active shooter incidents are very unique and need to be categorized separate from uh These urban shootings where they're over disputes, they're over robberies, they're fights at a party. They're very different. It's a very different category of shooting. It's not the same thing. An active shooter is very specific, and it's defined as someone who goes into a location for no apparent reason and just randomly kills people, and they're not stopped until the law enforcement or someone shoots them or they kill themselves, which happened in this. Unfortunately, it happened here after he had already killed 18 people and injured 13. So I think that they have to separate these different types of shootings because it doesn't help just to uh,
1: categorize all these shootings in in the same category. Your thoughts? Yeah, Bill, we've seen, I agree, we've seen um, weekends in Chicago where they'll have, you know, 75 shootings, 80 shootings over the course of a weekend. uh, And They'll all be gang-related, drug-related, robbery-related, burglary-related, and there'll be gangs of people shooting it out like the like the uh, OK Corral, you know, three or four people going at it against each other in the street. That's a totally different animal, uh, you know, in terms of cr- criminal justice than than uh, the shooter like Mr. Card, um, and they should be it should be treated differently because he he is a different actor than them absolutely and, yeah.
0: this is mike this is the same reporter from cnn who who confronted uh the main governor uh, janet mills and he has every right as a reporter to confront i just felt he was very very rude very very pushy and perhaps at the press conference you can ask the question he put he pushed a little too hard i just thought mm-hmm. that look these questions need to be answered absolutely absolutely and the tough questions have to be asked. Let's just watch a little bit of this here.
6: Maine Governor Janet Mills just finished giving an update on the response to the mass shooting in Lewiston over the weekend. We have CNN Shimon Procupes, who is in Maine. Uh, this was pretty notable. A lot of frustration in the room during this press conference, Shimon.
3: Yeah, certainly, because there are still so many questions that need to be answered. And really what we're dealing with now is the month the weeks leading up to this and what was going on with the shooter. We know from our new reporting that law enforcement was aware that he was having some kind of mental difficulties, that there was potentially threats of a mass shooting of violence. We've learned uh, in the last few days that actually a sheriff's deputy went to the home of the shooter to do an investigation because someone in the military called them and said, we're concerned about this. But what we don't know is what happens after that? What steps are taken to try and locate the shooter? And then now we know what happens. And these are the questions that we just posed to the governor. What does she know? And what was her reaction to all all that? Uh, Take a listen uh, to her response.
4: Information that was was received by local police that that they had about the shooter they did not share with they
7: federal authorities. Governor, you
3: really don't know what we're talking about? Is that where you're gonna stand but here and tell really us?
6: Should. Should Governor,
3: everyone here has, wants to know that answer.
6: This needs to be answered.
3: Yeah, good. Governor, you, I'm sorry. It's under
6: investigation. It is, but these are- This is something you should know, actually.
3: No, but this is something you should be able to- But also, but we, we know that there is an alarming concern from the law enforcement community that activity and information here was ignored. And the simple answer is, why was that done, and are you concerned about that? I think, you
6: guys and to be determined. You're making
3: assumptions.
6: I'm not assumptions.
3: And so there you go, right? You have the governor there. She really wasn't willing to answer any of the questions concerning the investigation. Her concerns over the fact that maybe law enforcement here missed items in, of information that could have prevented this. Uh, from happening. I know from talking to law enforcement officials uh, here in Maine and outside of Maine that are aware of this, that there is so much concern over the fact that there was enough evidence here, they believe, enough information to warrant a further investigation, perhaps more action by the local police department, and it just wasn't taken. And we just want the governor's reaction to it. Look, she is the governor of this state. She's in for. All purposes, she's in charge of this investigation. She runs the state police. They report to her. Uh, So, all we simply want to know is what does she know? And, you know, really, this is about getting some answers, right, for this community, for people who have been affected by this, but also law enforcement wants to know. Uh, Folks that are not living here, outside of here, they want to know what steps were missed, where were the mistakes made. And if there were no mistakes, then that's fine, but someone needs to talk about it. And this has been something that they've not wanted to answer for days now you know the day after this incident there were questions about this about the law enforcement contact with the shooter they basically ignored those questions and now as we see from the governor all the way to the top of this state continuing to ignore the questions and refusing to answer them
6: yeah this didn't come out of nowhere and i think that was really What we heard you and a number of reporters, including local reporters there in Maine, demanding of the governor. Shimon, thank you so much for that.
0: Mike, we know um, certain things. And we started this show off. We're not taking law enforcement side. There were real uh, red flags missed, real kites that were missed. And one, the National Guard Mm -hmm. notifies the police. This guy's got severe mental health issues. He goes into a hospital over the summer for two weeks, basically not forcibly, but recommended by the National Guard to do so. Right At that point, shouldn't have all his firearms been sort of removed from him? Looked into how many does he own? Let's, let's correspond with his family. How many firearms is this he does he own? Where does he keep them? Coordinate with the police department to remove these firearms. Now, the police are notified by the National Guard. They go to his home. First time he's not there. The sergeant smartly covers himself with paper, as we used to say. Writes out a missing person report. We're looking for this man because he's a danger to himself and others. An allegation by the National Guard, who is his employer, that he's threatened to shoot up Uh, the National Guard, and he, the sergeant, on the first visit to his home, he's not there, they write up a missing person. The second time they go there, they believe he's there. They hear him inside a trailer or inside his house. They choose to walk away. That is baffling to me. In between all of this, and I don't have the exact uh, chronology, the family notifies the police that he's got severe mental health issues. He's hearing voices. Still,
1: still nothing. Mike, please help me here. Yeah, Bill, there were so many lost opportunities, missed opportunities uh, for to get Mr. Card the help he needed and to get those guns away from him. When he was in the Veterans Administration hospital, uh, a vet, the Veterans hospital, I'm not sure if it's a VA hospital in Westchester or not, near Camp Smith, but uh, he was in the, in the, vet, in the hospital. Um, was the family ever notified? And if they were, they could have gone to his trailer and removed the firearms themselves and maybe turned them into the local police for invoicing, you know, that sort of thing. You know that didn't happen. Um, they, uh, they, they did the welfare wellness check and nothing came of that, even though they knew what the, what had happened with this person. I think because of the fact that he went quote unquote voluntarily into a mental health facility, he wasn't a forcible commitment under main law. I don't think that they could take his guns away. Um, however, you know, the, uh, I, there was a lot of opportunities there, um, between the army, um, the veteran, the, the hospital, um, where he was, um, with the, uh, the local sheriffs going, going there. And, um, you know, if, if they had worked a little bit more in conjunction with the family, everyone could have been assured that whatever was going on with him, he could be released from the hospital with medication and whatever happened in the future, we wouldn't know, but at least he would not have had that opportunity to use a firearm because they would have been taken away. Um, it's, you know, you can have all the laws on the books you want, but some, you know, you, uh, sometimes the system fails and this system failed. It failed the people of Maine. It failed Mr. Card's family. It failed those 18 people and the other people who were, were, uh, were wounded. And uh, it's a cluster freak. And I think the governor doesn't want to point fingers yet. I understand her feelings. Um, was a reporter a little bit over the top? Yeah. However, however, you know, this is why governors should leave the press conferences to the law enforcement people who are involved, who may at least give you some little bit more information. She wants to FaceTime but yet here she is getting some rude questions. And, uh, you know, you got, if you want to be the governor, you, you gotta, you gotta take the heat. And so, uh, you're going to get these kinds of aggressive questions from reporters and you know what, being an aggressive reporter is not necessarily a bad thing. We may dicker a little bit about how he approached the governor, but his job is to, is to get questions answered.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Folks, this is Police Off The Cuff, real crime stories. If you like real crime, true crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, make sure you give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. If you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. We also have a YouTube channel membership with five different levels, and you see the folks in the green font. They are part of our YouTube channel, family, friends, and subscribers. We really appreciate all of them. This is such a heartbreaking, heartbreaking case. And especially, we look at a lot of these cases, and there always seems to be missed opportunities. Um, The Boston Marathon bombers, the FBI knew who they were before the bombings occurred. Yet, They weren't, nothing, no one was surveilling them, no one was watching them, and look what they did. Uh, And some of these other active shooter cases, people are, are notified. So the system seems to be working in the notification process, but however, there's mistakes, and you can't even, these are bigger than mistakes because they're unforgivable mistakes. When 18 people are killed, You can't just call that a mistake you know is it a forced error no they you know they had opportunities to prevent this and they did not do it uh
4: just five nights ago a gunman changed our state forever claiming the lives of 18 people and injuring 13 others as many of us tried to start the new week and get back to normal we were reminded this is not normal in fact it's really hard one of the hardest parts is all of the questions that are still unanswered. But tonight we're learning new information that's shedding new light on how the mass shooter slipped through the cracks despite several warnings. Zach Merchant breaks down the latest details. Tonight, Hawk Sheriff Joel Mary out with new public comments, admitting his office was first warned about Robert Card five months ago, but gave up their search.
0: Wow, 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 wow. Five months ago, they knew about this guy. Mike, your thoughts, yeah. you, you, you're an attorney. Five months ago, what does that do? And I'm. I'm let's go to a whole different uh, area. What does that do about liability? Does that not make the government liable that they knew about this guy five months ago and nothing was done? Show us what you did, yeah. law enforcement.
1: Yeah, you know, law enforcement has what they call qualified immunity, not complete immunity from their, from, from damages caused by their actions. However, and that's for law enforcement, you actually need qualified immunity so that you can actually perform your duties the way you're supposed to. So you cannot be harassed to death by people you arrest, you know, suing you. So it's qualified immunity is a good thing for law enforcement. However, Qualified um, uh, qualified immunity does not cover you for everything you do. If you commit acts of gross negligence, then your gross negligence will not be covered by the idea of qualified immunity. That will make you uh, liable, personally liable, and your municipality, whoever employs you, liable also. In this case, it, it just from what we're looking at right now, it appears that, you know, there will be many people, at least 18 families who are going to charge the uh, sheriff's office and their and those the sheriffs who came in the sheriff under the deputies who came into contact with this situation with uh, gross negligence and, you know, uh, and uh, sue them under state law. It's um, it's you don't want to be in that Sheriff's Department. You don't want to be anyone right now attached to this investigation that took part in any sort of actions that affected Mr. Card in any way, because um, you know your ass is grass, and somebody's going to be the lawnmower, and it's going to be the, these families are going to have their peace uh, from you, and uh, so therefore, there. If this is gross negligence, and it appears to be prima facie, uh, they're in deep. They're in deep shit. You know, Mike, as a sergeant,
0: uh, 22 years out of my uh, 27 years on the police department, um, I would go to jobs and I could not leave a job unless I was satisfied that I made the right decision at that job. And if I wasn't sure, I would call someone that outranked me or even call someone to the scene, call a lieutenant or call the duty captain to the scene. This is what I got. What do you think? You know, I certainly would never, ever have walked away from Robert Card inside his house and left there with all with the information that I had. I could not go home and sleep at night with that information. And of course, none of us have a crystal ball and say, oh, because I failed to act, this guy's going to shoot 18 people and, and wound 13 others. Of course, no one could have predicted that. But. You know, a good indication of people's behavior is their past behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And his past behavior, he had some mental illness. And he was a firearms instructor. Good things don't mix with mental illness and being a firearms instructor.
1: Yeah, the, th- the sad thing about the whole thing is uh, this whole situation is uh, the family, you know, mentioned to the police that he had been hearing voices since at least perhaps last Christmas, early last January. So we're talking 10 months, at least 10 months. And so, and they got worse and worse and worse. And then when he was at, you know, in training with the National Guard, he actually verbalized. It wasn't like he was just, he just had a bad day and he's hard to get along with. No, he actually verbalized his desire to actually shoot people. So it wasn't, it went from a theoretical thing to, no, he, he's actually telling you, that he wants to shoot somebody.
0: Uh, He's telling people what he's going to do. Yeah. Someone tells you what they're going to do. Believe them. Believe them.
1: Right. They're telling you what they want to do if they can get their hands on a firearm. His MOS was, I think, fuel dispensing specialist. He wasn't in like the basic infantry unit as an infantry uh, specialist or something like that. But he still is on a military base. and He does have access to weapons. And the, the Army did the prudent thing by suspending his ability to, to, to go anywhere near firearms and making him leave and go and go get checked out with, in a mental health facility. But beyond that, and they actually communicated with civilian law enforcement. But, you know, this had been going on for, for months, not just, well, he mentioned it once in a telephone call to his girlfriend that he was going to shoot somebody. No, this was going on and on and on. And that's where no one picked up on it enough to actually make sure that the people of Maine were safe.
4: Search without ever making face-to-face contact. Here are the big takeaways, according to the sheriff. The shooter's family first alerted the sheriff's office on May 3rd, saying his mental health was declining and he had access to guns. A sheriff's office deputy then spoke to Card's Army Reserve Unit and the family, who said they'd get card medical attention. But by September, cards Army Reserve unit in Saco, asked the sheriff's office for a wellness check on card. Deputies visited his house twice and knocked on the door. On one occasion, his car was at the trailer home and a deputy thought he heard someone moving around inside, but nobody answered the door and the deputies left cards. Army Reserve unit commander then told deputies that card no longer had access to weapons from that unit and said he thought it was best for card to have some time to himself. By September 17th cards, brother told deputies that the family would try to secure any guns card might have access to deputies asked the family to call if they thought card was a risk to himself or others and then closed their search for him. According to the statement, deputies never made face to face contact with Robert card. One month later, he committed the worst mass shooting in Maine's history.
6: I know myself and all of us have, we know somebody that was affected and it's just important to be here for each other.
4: The sheriff says he believes his agency acted appropriately, but his office will be evaluating its policies for the future.
0: Well, I I don't think that they, um, they did act appropriately. I think that they, um, missed numerous opportunities to do the right thing. And, uh, As a result of their the the word we love in the law omission, not commission, the acts of omission created the perfect storm for Robert Cord to do what he did.
1: Yeah, Bill, I think the uh, sheriff is just trying to put the best face on this at this point because I'm sure he himself is doing uh, an investigation. Um, The the, the governor's doing an investigation. The state police are doing an investigation. The county sheriffs, everybody's doing their own internal investigations. And I don't think he wants to uh, hang anyone out to dry at this point and just putting the best face he can on this. But I think he knows that what what the deputies did um, was lacking um, and not making face-to-face contact not getting into that uh, that trailer uh, to see if he had weapons after their threats had been made uh, and his family had been contacted. You know, it, it's you can make up you can make up excuses and rationalize it and say, well, okay, well we did act appropriately. However, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and unfortunately, we don't live life in in, in that way. It's always prospectively what's going to happen, but. Yeah, not actually seeing him and getting into that into that trailer, which would not have been a big move to make. It's not you knew where he was. It wasn't like he was out in the woods and he's and he's a survivalist and you're looking for him for 30 days, and then maybe after 30 days you give up. No, he's he we know exactly where he is. You know he's in there, his car's there. You have to lay eyes on this guy. Um that I think. They were they were hesitant. Uh, they felt a little at a disadvantage, as was said, and they backed away. Maybe they thought they'd come back another 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 day. I don't know. It's it's not good for that for anyone in that department, and and I feel bad for the sheriff because he's just putting the best spin on terrible news. Absolutely. Okay.
6: Well, first of all, let me say, bad. I think it is more important that we ban very high capacity magazines. I think that would have more input and more uh, effectiveness. We had an assault weapon ban, which I supported, uh, that was in effect for 10 years. It applied to, I believe, 17 or 19 styles of weapons. Uh, Later, the late uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein proposed an expansion that would have covered 157 weapons. And it was based not on functionality, but on cosmetic features. So there's always more that we can do I was a co-author of the bipartisan Safer Communities Act, uh, which provided funding, for example, for uh, red and yellow flag laws and um, and for mental health clinics, which I think is important as well. So certainly, there's there's always more that can be done.
5: a decade ago, though, you opposed legislation that limited access to uh, expanded, you know,
6: stocks and firearms uh, capacity. Are you are you suggesting that you would do something different now? I don't believe you're correct. For example, I was the lead Republican sponsor of a bill that would ban bunk stocks, which have the ability to turn a semi-automatic. Into a fully automatic,
0: you know, I, I don't think um, a, a bump stock was the issue here. I, no. I think, uh, and they always their favorite is high capacity magazines. And, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, obviously, he, he shot a lot of rounds and uh, he did have high capacity magazines. I don't know if that in itself is going to prevent or. Stop the um, the amount of people that you could kill in these these situations, but it's again it gets it gets um, this is a democratic state it's a blue state Maine, however it as we opened up the show with it's a hunting state and people want their guns and they don't want government restriction on their guns. Will this situation change anything? I think that, you know, if you watch the news, you listen to the news, I think there's an active shooter incident every two to three weeks in this country. And I think that we we mentioned earlier, we don't want to confuse these urban setting shootings uh, that are, are, are robberies or disputes or w- with what an active shooter is. It's very different, but they're starting to do that. And it, it can get very confusing. An active shooter is defined as a person that goes into a location and just shoots the location up for no apparent reason and is not stopped until he's either stopped by the police or, or an innocent bystander or the other way he kills himself, which is this occurred after he had created all this carnage.
1: Yeah. Bill, the, uh, the, the idea that you, you, you could treat the, the, uh the shootings like on the street that we used to see in Manhattan or, or like with me in the Bronx, the same way as you would treat a uh, this kind of gunman uh, is, is a disservice to the public. They're, they're separate kinds of incidents. You got to handle them differently. Um, one of the people in the chat asked the question about, you know, will this pr- provide impetus for meaningful discussion? And, um, you know, going forward, uh, maybe within Maine, there'll be some some uh, you know meaningful discourse but nationwide I, I don't think so going forward because um, we have had these incidents many times and um, they keep happening for various reasons and uh, because they're not all the same but they happen for various reasons and they end up with a lot of, with a lot of carnage but it doesn't seem like we will have a meaningful discussion um, I remember thinking back, Oh, maybe 12, 15 years ago with the Newton, Newtown shooting, Sandy Hook right. shooting. Yes. Um, everybody expected there would, was going to be uh, some sort of meaningful nationwide discussion. And it never really happened. I, after the shooting in Las Vegas with the gentleman who shot uh, all those people from like a block away. from the hotel. It was over
0: like 60 people. He shot them from his hotel room.
1: Right, right. This guy was yeah. like a sniper. Um, and I think the only thing that came out of that was a bump stock bump stock ban. What it, they're
0: talking about here, yeah,
1: yeah, and I, I think that was it. So, I'm a cynic as a police officer, I'm a cynic, and I don't think unfortunately, I'd have to say, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of meaningful discussion, uh, nationwide, perhaps within Maine itself, some soul searching, but not nationwide. I don't think so.
6: And um, that legislation has not been enacted into law. There was an attempt to do it by leg- by regulation, but it was struck down by the courts. I still support the uh, bump stock legislation. The other thing that I think we can look at is, and I advocated, um, Was to increase the age at which you could purchase um, a high capacity rifle from 18 to 21, the way it is for a handgun. Senator Collins, you mentioned yellow flag laws used in this case. You are a big advocate of them. Do you know if they were used in this
5: case? I'm sorry. Yellow flag laws.
6: To mine, but I don't know. That's a very That's good it, question. Maine does have a but, good yellow flag. If it's
5: true, as we are hearing, that Robert Carr had mental health issues
6: and he was uh, the police put it forward for evaluation, you got it wrong. No, it, it, I don't know whether there was a report to trigger the yellow flag the law. There, It certainly, on the basis of the facts that we have, it seems, could you, could you let me finish, please? It certainly seems that on the basis of the facts that we have, that the yellow flag log should have been triggered if, in fact, um, the suspect was hospitalized for two weeks for mental illness, that should have triggered of uh, the yellow flag, flag and separated from his weapons i'm sure after the fact that's going to be um looked at very closely obviously that's a state issue
0: you know this is getting very yeah. over, over the top political where it's not helping the conversation here but this happens uh pretty much after all of these shootings it becomes a uh it becomes a Second Amendment argument, and uh, one of the most important things here, of course, is is the uh, th- these people on the screen right here and their families, and that's the most important thing. And it always, always becomes uh, the the talk about the Second Amendment. And I don't, I don't have the answers in, in regards to that. It seems like one side uh when these things happen their 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 answer is to make more laws and more rules against law-abiding citizens when um the truth is they don't prosecute the real shooters and the real criminals that have guns so but when you look at this here's a mentally ill person who was able to purchase guns even though he had been hospitalized in a mental hospital Mm -hmm that very summer. So something is extremely wrong right there, Mike.
1: Yeah, Bill, I was looking up uh, Maine's gun law this afternoon in preparation for the show, and um, people who can't buy firearms are those previously convicted of domestic violence, uh, serious juvenile delinquent offenses that would be serious crimes if they were an adult. Um, uh, Let's see, if you were ever convicted of a crime or judged not guilty by reason of insanity, or you were involuntarily committed to a state hospital. Um, in Card's case, it appeared that um, he went voluntarily for mental health, you know, for mental help, and therefore he didn't trigger um, the uh, what they call the yellow flag law in, um, in Maine. So he fell through the cracks because he went there voluntarily and he wasn't committed, you know, with the police taking him there and that sort of thing. So, um, and then, uh, he went to buy a silencer. I think it was in August. And, um, uh, yeah, the summer of 2023, he was turned down for silencer because on a federal form called four, four, seven, three, uh, that's your background check form. He admitted that he had a diagnosable mental illness and the, the one person who, you know, and the, the, uh, gun store owner, saw that and said, well, Mr. Card, you're not entitled to a silencer. And Card walked out of the, um, of the, of the uh, gun store and without the silencer. So the one you know, entity in the state that actually followed the law and it was effective was the, the gun shop owner. Um, and, and we can see, uh, as I mentioned earlier, like Chicago, Illinois has some of the most uh, restrictive handgun laws in, in the nation. And look at the people in Chicago, ask them if their handgun laws are actually protecting them. It, it, it's, it's a complicated situation. We don't have the answers here. Um, it has a lot to do with um, our feelings of insecurity, our feelings as uh, our culture of, of hunting, um, our own American culture, um, you know, uh, the idea that you need to have a gun and you should be entitled to have a gun to protect yourself and your family. There's um, all kinds of people's perspective, and that's just a few I mentioned, but it's a, it's a hard problem to solve, and it's not going to be solved anytime soon, and it's emotional, and um, these cases, like Mr. Card's, when this occurs, we look back and we see where Um, The laws may be in place, but it doesn't mean that uh, the person is going to be uh, uh, stopped from doing what they're going to do with a firearm. 100%.
2: ...asking how the suspected shooter was able to own a gun despite his two-week stay in a mental health facility just this past summer. Well, Maine does have a yellow flag law that establishes a process to take firearms away from a person during a mental health crisis. The process includes a police investigation, a doctor exam, and a judge's order. It's a process critics say really takes too long.
6: If Robert Card had been prohibited from buying a gun, we do not have universal background checks in Maine, and he could have gone to a local corner, to a private dealer, and he would have been able to buy a gun illegally that way.
2: We're told Maine's gun laws are lax compared to other northeastern states which have red flag laws. They simplify the process allowing relatives of a gun owner to directly ask a court to remove a gun during a mental health crisis. Others say it's the type of gun that's the issue. In this case, the suspect used an assault-style weapon. Maine Congressman Jared Golden, who previously opposed an assault weapons ban, says this shooting rampage has changed his mind.
3: The time has now come for me to take responsibility for this failure, which is why I now call on the United States Congress to ban assault rifles like the one used by the sick perpetrator of this mass killing in my hometown of Lewiston, Maine.
2: On the federal level, Congress passed a law last year after the shooting in U- Uvalde.
0: You know, Mike, define for me uh, what what is an assault weapon. Define that to me. I, I don't know what it is.
1: Well, it, it's not. it doesn't have any exact definition, but what most, you know, under, like, say, federal law, but what most people say... Is it is a, uh, a, a rifle that is capable of fully automatic fire, um, has a uh, has a muscle muzzle brake, uh, a flash suppressor on the end, has a bayonet lug so you could put a bayonet on it, has um, has a, uh, has a um, pistol grip handle uh, for the support and aim the firearm, has an adjustable, Shoulder stock to adjust the length of length of pull from shoulder to trigger, and may also have a uh, a peg underneath the barrel to help direct fire. Uh, also has a capacity, a magazine capacity. I think people usually say twelve rounds or sixteen rounds. Um, so that's just a conglomeration. Right,
0: that that's that's a mouthful. I mean, that's a lot to put on. Uh, no, I'm saying. Oh no. yeah. You know, there is a definition in the penal law of what a firearm is. Right. Any, any loaded weapon that is fully capable of discharging a projectile. That's the definition. Right. I don't know if I got it word for word. No, you got
1: it right. Yeah, that's but it. That's
0: the definition of a firearm. So to define what an assault weapon is it it seems like you spoke for about two paragraphs there there's a lot of things to include there right so what what, what which does that include a shotgun does that no. include a hunting rifle say that uh hmm. and i'm not a gun buff yeah. and i don't know yeah. a lot about guns i own four guns 238s and two nines. that's the only guns that i was issued well actually uh, i was issued to, you know the 9mm and the 38 and then i bought an off duty and i bought a small baby Glock nine millimeter, but I'm not a gun buff and I'm not a, uh, so I don't know that much about guns to tell you the truth, but whenever someone says assault weapon, it seems to encompass so many things. That therein lies the confusion with a lot of this.
1: Cause exactly. Because what happens if you have a semi-automatic firearm that is not convertible to fully automatic, you don't have a bayonet lug, you don't have a fi- a fire suppressor on the muzzle. You don't have uh, um, a uh, a pistol grip handle. You don't have a peg handle underneath the um, the the barrel, and you don't have an adjustable um, uh, shoulder stock. Uh, then you don't have an assault assault weapon. You know, if you missing one of the things in that definition, then you don't have a a what people consider an assault weapon um people have in their minds assault weapons something that looks like what uh like you know we had in, in the soldiers had in vietnam or the uh what do they call it the um it was
0: an m16 m16 you know, you know
1: that sort of thing i couldn't thank you i couldn't think of it but um there's so many other you're older
0: than me. you should have had that right at the tip of your tongue yeah
1: i know right like oh <laughs> but um so I think everybody has a slightly different idea of what it is. And some people may say, well, you have a uh, .22 caliber uh, semi-automatic uh, firearm that you might use to hunt small game. Um, that's not a, uh, uh, an assault weapon. Somebody might say you have a mini 14 Ruger that shoots a two, th- two two three cartridge, which is really small to hunt deer. It's probably not even allowed in many states to use that to hunt deer. And that doesn't have half of the number of ingredients that would make up an assault, you know, quote, unquote, uh, assault weapon, uh, assault rifle. But um, people might look at it as an assault weapon. So it's, it's really very difficult to come to consensus of what people actually mean when they say an assault weapons ban. I think for shorthand, what they mean is a weapon with a high capacity magazine that can go fully automatic. I think like a Kalashnikov or something like that. I think that's kind of what they really mean. I don't
0: think they know what they mean. I, yeah. really yeah. I think that they're misinformed about firearms yeah. in a lot of ways. And as I said, I am not a buff. I am not uh, very knowledgeable about guns, even though, you know, I carried yeah. one for 27 years. And when I still go into places that are unfamiliar and uncharted, I will stra- be strapped. So that's it. But I'm licensed. I'm right. I'm licensed to carry in any state. Folks, if you are looking for a uh, a fantastic defense attorney in the New York metropolitan area, then Joe Murray is your man. Joe's a retired NYPD member of the service, a retired police officer, and he's a fantastic defense attorney. You can reach Joe on his cell phone at 718-514-3855. Email him at joe at jmurray-law.com or go on his website, jmurray-law.com. Not only is Joe a great attorney, but he's a huge supporter Mm -hmm. of the Police Off the Cuff podcast, and uh, he's been with us, supporting us for several years now. We really appreciate him. Uh, Let me play a little bit more. Family
2: contacted the sheriff's office back in May over concerns about his mental health and his access to guns as an Army reservist.
8: The sheriff and officials say they are now reevaluating policies and procedures, but this is renewed debate over the mentally ill and access to firearms. News Chief Justice Correspondent Pierre Thomas joins us now. Pierre, uh, this is just a shocking story. What's the latest on it?
7: Well, I think the thing here that jumps out, Terry, is the fact that here's a case where people in law enforcement, people in the military, were well aware that Robert Card was, you know, in descending mental health status, that he had discussed acts of violence uh, involving his fellow soldiers, uh, that he was becoming paranoid. Uh, And the the dominating thing that comes out of this, the infuriating thing, I'm sure, for people in Maine, is that the people who were in a position to do something about this knew and did not do enough.
6: Mm. So let's
2: talk about that, because every time we cover a horrendous mass shooting like this of any kind, there, there was always some type of warning sign. Somebody knew something. Um, so what are authorities going to do now that this is out on the table? There were numerous warning signs. What are they going to do to prevent this lack of follow through?
7: Well, when you hear the sheriff say that they're going to have to reexamine their policies, I think the community there is going to demand it. The more uh, the community learns about this, remember, this is a community that was in hiding, up until you know Thursday, late Thursday, Friday, uh, hiding, unable to even grieve. And the more information that comes out that uh, this it was shared with law enforcement and the military, uh, the, the the question will be, what was the follow through? When you're told the man is proficient. Uh, at weapons. Uh, Some of the language I read from the documents the ABC News obtained spoke of him being a firearms instructor, uh, someone who was clearly capable of using the weapons. But the focus seemed to be on him perhaps attacking fellow soldiers and not so much the broader community. Now, why they would rule that out, why they wouldn't focus on that as much, I don't know. But I think the thing that is clear, is clear, is that There was not the kind of follow up one would suspect it would need to happen in a case like this where someone has access to, you know, military style weapons and who is clearly, you know, hearing voices, no less. Uh, That's a question that's going to be very difficult for law enforcement officials there and for the community at large. Well, Pierre, hopefully that law, law
8: enforcement can institute uh, pra- uh, policies and practices. They, they ought, ought to have done so already. But they're, they're, those are organizations that can stand up a defense against the mentally ill who shouldn't have access to firearms, ha- a- having access to firearms. What about the public, though? I mean, as you, as you point out, every one of these uh, shootings, people knew, right? They say, see something, say something. But does there need to be almost like a civil defense aspect to this where ordinary Americans have got to be trained or taught in a way to respond to the dangers of a mentally
7: health friend relative neighbor uh, having access to firearms but but Terry look at this case we're talking about his family went to authorities yeah they told the authorities he's a person that has issues and he has potentially access to firearms so this is a question of will rather than anything else
2: mm. Mm. Great point. Things definitely have to change, especially if you, you contact law enforcement. You expect of all people, they will listen and follow through and do something. Appreciate it, Pierre.
0: You know, Mike, it's uh, in this case, uh, l- learning what we're learning about it right now. It's embarrassing. It really is embarrassing that this is the level of omission. I'll use that word again. right? Omission that occurred here, that they did not do their job. They did not follow up. They did not take a dangerous, mentally ill person, and at the very le- least, remove his firearms, and even more so, perhaps uh, have him reevaluated mental, you know, mental health wise. And I know all of this stuff is not easy. It seemed like, you know, in New York City, we were protected by the mental hygiene law, and if we were, were called to a location, and they said this is an EDP, an emotionally disturbed person. There were certain steps we would take and we would get more information if the person was violent, if the person indicated uh, an indication of causing harm to himself or others, we would kick it up a notch. But we certainly would not leave a location like that until we were satisfied that the situation was corrected.
1: Yeah, Billy, um, you, you probably did this as a Sergeant. I did this, excuse me, as a Sergeant with the mental health removal orders, um, where you'd go and you'd accompany that person and they were going to the hospital because they already had a judge had already ruled that they were mentally incompetent and they were a danger. We also responded to many calls out on the street of a possible person who had emotionally disturbed problems. We call them EDP runs. And, uh, they never they didn't always end up going to the hospital because you would be there uh, making the determination if they were going to be a danger to themselves or others uh, because no judge had already previously made this. But when it, when it comes to weapons, um, you know and a person has a weapon, you know as a police officer you tend to and I can't obviously speak for everybody, but I would if I, I'm, it makes me nervous if I'm hearing that there's a person, who has a mental health issue and they have a weapon. I'm going to treat that similarly to a crime in progress where there's a perpetrator with a weapon who may want to hurt me as I'm a law enforcement officer in uniform. I'm going to be much more on guard. I want to see that weapon. I want to make sure that person, I'm going to frisk them. I want to make sure that I clear that area. Um, Yeah. They, yeah. Law enforcement did not fulfill its obligation to the public in this respect. And um, it seems as I was looking through the chronology, um, it seemed to be that second half of September uh, where it all, the wheels fell off the cart. The army had done what it did. Um, the uh, police had gone to the home twice, didn't see them. Uh, the, they talked to the brother. Um, it also seemed that I think law enforcement just figured it was kind of like a settled thing that the, the Army took care of it. Uh, the family's taking care of it. We're going to step back, and it just went to shit. Uh, the second half of September, and here we are in October. And uh, you know, he 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 didn't he didn't it just, it just didn't end well. And like everything, it ends nicely. No, it ended the way where when we look back on it yeah, all the breadcrumbs were leading to what had happened. And that was the the mass slaughter of 18 people. Um, Law enforcement has to take responsibility for this one. Absolutely.
5: This entire region is still reeling and will be for some time. In fact, it could be some time for a lot of people are able to move on. And that includes Maine's deaf community. In fact, this entire area wants the rest of the world to know what Lewis and Strong really means.
6: I was so humbled by that. It was beautiful and Josh would have loved it.
5: Elizabeth Seal is talking about Sunday night's vigil at the largest church in Lewiston, packed with hundreds inside and hundreds more outside to remember the 18 souls that died in last week's shooting, including her husband, Josh Seal, a member of the deaf community. Elizabeth spoke to us through an interpreter.
6: Family was everything for him. He loved his deaf community too and was always supporting the deaf community needs. He was always there for friends, family.
5: Josh was the father of four. He was with a group of deaf people on Wednesday night to enjoy a game of cornhole at Schmange's Bar. Three others in his group died that evening as well. His wife wants people to remember who Josh was and how he lived his life.
6: If you have a dream, make a plan and do something about it. Reach out, connect, network. Don't just talk about it. Take the reins and do it. And that's how he was. We
5: can never allow Lewiston to be remembered for violence. Speaking at Sunday night's vigil was Lewiston native Tom Caron, the Nessun and Red Sox broadcaster, was chosen to speak at the event in hopes the world would understand what Lewiston Strong really means. But Lewiston Strong is going to be how everyone in our community helps each other and, and helps each other get back up on their feet and and move on in the aftermath and and not let what happened this past week change the identity of who we are now the state and private agencies have come together and made a website to help families affected here in Lewiston by last week's shootings if you'd like more information on that you can find it on our website wcvv.com live in lewis maine i'm Ted.
0: So, you know, this is, uh, again, we we didn't uh, hold back at all during the show. We uh, tried to show uh, what went wrong here. And it seems that, you know, government is always trying to assess blame, but they want to really find out who's to blame first before they start pointing fingers. And one of the things that the police department should always do in any major investigation is to do an assessment on their response and what went right and what went wrong. And if they're honest with themselves, um, a lot went wrong here. You know, a lot went wrong that allowed these 18 people on the screen um, to be murdered in in a bar and in a bowling alley uh, just going about their life, trying to enjoy their life and, Could Again, would have, should have, could have, but could have, could have, should have this been prevented. And uh, yes, I think so. I think it could have been prevented. And um, many, many mistakes were made. And many, many mistakes will be made in the next place there's an active shooter. Because these are very difficult situations for law enforcement to become involved in. But you would hope That in the lead up to these situations that they would make the right decisions and when they would inject themselves into these situations so as to prevent the next active shooter situation and i just always like to mention that we always want to remember that this case is about those 18 people on the screen and about the town of lewiston maine and how they will be healing now for a long period of time. And uh, we pray for these 18 on the screen and their friends and families and the town of Lewiston, Maine. Mike, your final thoughts.
1: Billy, yeah, this is double tragedy because like in other cases where you may have a a shooting, um, the person may not have telegraphed their feelings. The law enforcement may not have known at all until the actual shooting started. And what makes this doubly worse than others is that for several months, the uh, law enforcement knew, the army knew, and it the response was not meaningful in any way, shape or form by law enforcement. And that allowed the shooter to move forward and to kill. And uh, that's, the, that's the double tragedy is that law enforcement actually had this guy on their radar and then lost him. And through their own negligence, and that's the sad part about it that makes it the tragedy so much worse. And we have to pray for those families and pray for all those who were wounded, and uh, and hope that you know we can have some meaningful dialogue somewhere along the line. I doubt it, but pray that we do to come to terms with our conflicting needs of our Second Amendment rights, our privacy expectations uh, the public necessity to have order, um, you know, regulating firearms usage and availability and, um, uh, enforcement of laws properly and, uh, you know, government accountability. We need all of those things to make to make the situation better, but, you know, keep your fingers crossed.
0: 100%. You know, Mike, I want to thank you for, uh, coming on doing the show tonight. Uh, this is a tough topic to cover, yeah. uh, folks. It's um, it's very sad, and uh, unfortunately, we'll probably be covering other active shooter shooter incidents across this nation. As as I said, one happens at least every two weeks two or three weeks in this country, and uh, it's it's really, you know, since Columbine, and it's been like on the radar screen, yeah. even though it goes even further back than that i think it was uh on a water tower in texas happened in the 60s right there was an active shooter and i think that was one of the first ones but it's not my point to go through the history of it but it's it's not a new phenomena however the way that law enforcement and people have been trained to respond to it is relatively new so ladies and gentlemen just like to thank everyone for tuning in tonight Uh, I'm Bill Cannon from Police Off the Cuff on behalf of myself and Professor Mike Geary. Have a great night and be safe. Good night, everybody.